perhaps maybe today you are living with one hand on Jesus and maybe you have one hand in the world. One hand on Jesus and and one hand on self. One hand in Jesus and and one hand in, in whatever your hopes and dreams are that don't have anything to do with Jesus. It will never work. The way that we have contentment and peace and joy and counted on joy in life is to truly let go of the world and just hold on to Jesus. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. As we come before you, Lord, with palms up, not with fists that are clenched, but with palms and and hearts and minds that are wide open. God, I pray, would you speak? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak in a powerful way. Refresh us, renew us. Give us the mind of Christ right now. Help us to abide in your presence all the day long. And the true vine, not the false vines that are everywhere, but the true vine, Jesus. God, move me behind the shadows of the cross. May you be glorified. May you be praised. As we lift your name on high. And we pray this in Jesus' name. The name that's above every name. In his name, and his name only do we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of James. Pray have a Bible with you and just excited about this study, this expositional study on the book of James and pray that, that you're going to be blessed and encouraged in the battle because as you're turning there, the reality is we are all going through struggles. There's not one person that is, is watching, listening right now that is not dealing with some element of pain, disappointment, of trials, tribulations. It's, it's just part of life. And, and here we are in this great, great book of James, a New Testament there. If you've made it to Revelation Uh, You're a little too far to the right. Turn back to the left, and you'll find James, I pray. Uh, Here, our sermon title today is just simply this, a joyful trials, joyful trials. And I want you to think about that as we're going to look at James here, uh, chapter 1, just a a few verses. But but think about joyful trials. We we picture these two words, and and I know in my mind, at least, uh, those are hard to reconcile. Uh, joyfulness and and trials and difficulties and disappointment. But I pray we're going to see very clearly today from God's Word, from His truth, through the lens of Scripture, I pray that we will see afresh and new that there can be, there should be joy in the midst of our trials. Now here it is, our primary text for your notes today is James chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 4. James 1, 1 through 4, and again, I pray you have your Bible open, uh, hearts ready to go as the Holy Spirit will cultivate uh, the implanted Word. James chapter 1, verse 1, just says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, who's it addressed to? To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Now don't miss that, very important. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 2, 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I know all God's people shouted a hearty amen on that one. Verse 3, for you know, don't miss that, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, joyful trials. I, when I even say those two words, my flesh rebels. My flesh doesn't like that. It, it doesn't make sense to what my prideful flesh craves. I, I, I want joy, but I don't want trials. I want gladness, but I don't want suffering. But here's the key on this church. How will we truly know? How will we truly know the power of Christ's resurrection apart from the fellowship of the sufferings? You can't extrapolate the two. The two go hand in hand. And James knows this. James comes out of the gate. He's swinging out of the chute. And verse 1 there in your Bible, as you look at it, he simply says these words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here James is. He's half-brother of Jesus, early church leader. His name means supplanter. James was one of the, if not the first book written, most scholars agree that, in the New Testament. And here James is saying, very truthfully, a very key, he says, look, I'm the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, and yet I'm a servant of God, of Theos, but also of the Lord Jesus Christ. James knows very clearly just not who he is, James, but he knows whose he is. Don't miss that. This is very key. If if you and I are going to live the Christian life, and we're going to walk this life and journey this life together, we need to know whose we are. Uh, We're either working for the Lord, or the reality is we're working against the Lord. And James says, look, I want you to know out of the gate, here's I'm writing you, looking there to those Jews, writing to us, the Gentiles as well, as the whole scope is unfolding of eternity here through Scripture, here's what he's saying is, I want you to know without any shadow of a doubt who owns me. Who owns me? I'm a leader in the church, that doesn't matter, no titles, no applause of men. I want you to know I'm a servant of Jesus. Now, you got to understand this. That word used there is doulos, and it means this, to be a willing servant, a, a willing slave. If you really want to unpack it and rip it apart, it means this, for one of those people that says, I'm going to intentionally, urgently, and desperately renounce all of my rights. Like, I don't, I don't claim anything. I don't say I deserve this. I got to have this. It's actually just the opposite. The servanthood that James is espousing here is saying, look, I am so much owned by Jesus that nothing else in life matters. Nothing. Like, I'm so in love with him. I haven't just given him part of my life. No, he owns all that I am. And no matter what happens to me, no matter where I go, what I say, what I do, It's Jesus who owns me. See, that will bring you and I joy in the midst of the struggle. If we're trying to to journey through life, church, in any other way, if perhaps maybe today you are living with one hand on Jesus and maybe you have one hand in the world, one hand on Jesus and and one hand on self, one hand on Jesus and and one hand and whatever your hopes and dreams are that don't have anything to do with Jesus, it will never work. The way that we have contentment and peace and joy and counted on joy in life is to truly let go of the world and just hold on to Jesus. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, look, this is who owns me. 
I'm a servant of, of God, of Theos, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. When James says, look, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, he's fleshing this thing out. He could have said, I'm a servant of the Lord. That would have been great. Could have said just Jesus would have been awesome. Could have said Christ would have been amazing. No, he is making a definitive statement here. That the Lord, when we look at that in the original language, is talking about one who owns a person or thing. So James is, again, drilling down out of the gate, making sure the readers know, look, here's what's happening. He's my Lord. He's my boss. He's my master. My life is no longer my own. He owns me. And I want you to know, reader, he's saying, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who redeemed me, the one who purchased me back, who, who by his royal righteous blood that was shed on Calvary, that, that as he went to the cross and, and he despised the shame and, and he journeyed for that joy that was set before him. That's the one who I'm in total allegiance to. It's my Jesus, my Lord. I love this because it, it truly just drives home a point to me when I read this. Here James is leader in the early church, could have been ambitious, could have wanted titles. Maybe he was tempted to have his picture on the Baptist Gazette. And yet that ambition wasn't there in this context for sure, because he's saying, look, none of that matters. And isn't that so true, church? If you have Jesus, and if you have nothing, does anything really matter as long as you have Jesus? Key number one in your notes, I want you to write this down. Key number one, Important point here, church. Key number one. My response to the trials of life is dictated by who or what I truly serve. Let me say that again. My response to the trials of life is dictated by who or what I truly serve. As you're making a note of that, our trials, my trials, your trials, are really the great exposure, aren't they? They reveal who or what I'm really trusting in. They reveal who you or what are trusting in. It's easy to praise Jesus on the mountain when things are going great, but man, when your back's against the wall, when the bottom's falling out, when the losses are piling up, boy, it's so easy to begin to reassess the situation. I don't know if I signed up for this. And the guy on the TV said, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get dunked, and you're in. He didn't tell me anything about suffering. And the Bible is replete. When you open the pages of Scripture, you see page after page of the suffering. Even Paul told Timothy that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's par for this course. So we don't run from it. Because Paul, you got to remember, as he's talking to all those letters of those churches there that he wrote, and now you're looking at James here today as we look at this together. James is saying, here's the deal. I want you to understand this. James is saying, I'm writing to these 12 tribes, the Jewish people, that was the term they would use, the 12 tribes, but I'm writing to them of the dispersion. There's some debate on, on what this is alluded to, but I think we could argue effectively from Acts 12 that, that there was a lot of trials and tribulations. And you've got to think about this. Just think about this for a moment, church, from a, just a deductive standpoint reasoning. Hi, I'm James. I'm going to tell you who I am. Now I'm going to tell you whose I am. I'm a servant of the great God of the Bible and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, I'm writing to you. Here's my audience. And as I'm writing to you, why would someone write to you and out of the gate say, hey, be encouraged? Why would they write to you and say, count it all joy? 
Well, here's why they write to you and say that. They write to you because they know you're going through something difficult. The dispersion there that we could argue could say, hey, they've been dispersed. They were scattered under persecution as James is encouraging them out of the gate. The first thing he commands through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this, count it all joy. See, the trials, that key number one, are so key. My response to the trials of life is dictated by who or what I truly serve. I think about Nehemiah. I want you to write that down in your notes there in the supporting text. And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. And you know the story. Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. He's got a big task. It's the biggest revitalization project ever. Uh, it's rebuilding the wall. And he's trying to rebuild this wall and be obedient. And he's got the naysayers, Sam Ballant and Tobiah. There are always naysayers as part of life. And there's always the naysayers. And here's what he says in response to this building of the wall and being obedient to the Lord. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. For this day now, he's saying, is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord, don't miss this church, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Did you just see that? He's got these people trying to undermine him. He's missile-locked on Jesus. It's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, he's got every distraction blocked out. He's saying, I, I serve this one here. I'm going to serve the Lord as I look towards the cross. I'm Old Testament. I'm looking towards the cross. There is faith in the great God of the Bible. I will not be moved. I will not be deterred. I will not be shaken. How about you today? It's easy to be shaken, isn't it? It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to waver. Don't waver. Do this instead. Verse 2 of James. Here it is in your Bible. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Again, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. You know, we read that, and if we're honest, I know it's easy to lie to ourselves. No one lies to me more than I lie to me, to be truthful. But you read that and you go, how do you accomplish that? Let me read that again. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. Is James hallucinating here? I mean, what's going on in his head? How do you count it? How do you consider, think, deem, evaluate all joy? How do you do this when you're in the trial? It's relatively easy to praise Jesus when things are going well. It's relatively easy. You get a bunch of people together. Things are going well. We've got our hands raised. We're singing at the top of our lungs. We're excited. I mean, it's awesome. The energy's amazing, isn't it? But what happens when God's not going our way? What happens when, when He's not going our direction? What happens when He says, I know your plans are A, but I'm actually going to take you to Z? Do we still go His way? How about I ask it like this, when God, to our request, when His answer is not yes, but He says no, when He says no to you, when He says no to me, and a fervent request, a burdensome request, you're saying, Lord, I just pray you come through in this way. And for whatever reason, His sovereign plan, He says no. How do we respond to the no's of life? How do we respond? Do we count it all joy? Do we truly consider it all joy? Well, here James again is writing, and as you look at this and drill down deep in verse 2, when he says these words, it really made me think. He says, consider it or count it all joy, my brethren, 
when you, when you meet, not if, but when. Life is not about if they're going to happen. Life is about when. Going into the valley, coming out of the valley, on the mountain, going back in. That's just part of life, up and down. But here's the glorious part on this church. Don't miss this. See, when you rely, when I rely on Christ, when we are like James, we say, look, Jesus, you own me. This is me, my name, fill in the blank, but this is who owns me. And out of the gate, you identify with that. That's your declaration to a lost and dying world. Here's what happens in this. Jesus says this in the Word, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Here's Jesus on the line of your life. He is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Here's the beauty, church, that as whatever comes into your life, and if you're hanging on to Jesus, here's what you're hanging on to. You're hanging on to stability and security. You're hanging on to the rock that cannot be moved. You're hanging on to a mighty fortress that is our God's. But if you're hanging on to the world, you're hanging on to exactly what you're going through. Instability. Not secure. Wavering. Bending. Buckling. Like a wave to and fro that it's tossed in the waves and the wind of life. See, James says here, when you meet these trials, when you're enveloped in them, when you're, you're sinking down in them, and maybe you're here today and my heart goes out to you if it's you, but maybe you're here today and maybe you feel like that the trials of life are just enveloping you. You can't catch a break. You ever been there? Maybe you're here today, but maybe you've been there and you're, you're just like praying, Lord, I just need to catch a break. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but can I just catch a break? And it's in those moments, though, it's in those moments, church, where we rely on him more than ever before, don't we? Man, we're hanging on for dear life. We're hanging on to his ankles saying, oh, God, don't leave. I need you like never before. See, that's why the trials of life are so important to our spiritual development. Don't run from them. No, embrace them. When you meet them, when you fall into them, those trials, the adversity, the affliction, the challenges, but it really means this. It means to test one's character and to prove who they really are. See, it's the trials of life that are the testing, the proving ground, that we begin to see who we really are. Am I really in for Jesus? Is my heart really there? Have I really given my life to Him Am I using him to get something from him? Am I worshiping his blessings and not him? And if I'm worshiping the blessings and not him, I'm actually living in idolatry? Or do I just crave him? Lord, I don't care what you give me. Man, just as long as I got you, I'm going to count it all joy. Think about what that will do in my life and your life, church, as we have that message. Your trials are not meaningless. They're not. God allows things into all of our lives to prune and to refine. So James here, out of gate number one, he connects himself to the reader. He tells the reader, he says, look, this is who owns me. And then he identifies who he's writing to. And that's why it's so important we look at key number two in your notes. Key number two, I write this down. This really hit me hard as I was preparing this. Key number two when I face a trial, again, when, not if, but when, my first response is to be one of joy. And true joy is based on Jesus first, others second, and you 
me last. Again, think about this. The trials that we go through, the trials reveal. You know, life is not a Hallmark movie. It's just not how this works. Man, the screws get tightened in life. And man, it's hard. It's difficult. And the reality is at some point, if we are not trusting totally in Jesus, we will bend, we will buckle, we will break. But for you that are trusting in Christ and you're in the storm, don't lose heart. God is with us. He's promised that. Think about this from 2 Corinthians. Write this down under the supporting verse area there in key number two. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul's recounting his hardships. And, and listen to the pendulum swing of this verse. It's simply amazing. This can only be accomplished as Christ is living in Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, Paul writes these words. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. I love that phrase. Paul is saying here, look, I'm in the battle, I'm in the fray, I'm in the fight. I don't like what's going on. Matter of fact, if you go all the way back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you're going to see here that, man, things are so rough. He's despairing life. It's that bad. But yet he presses on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here in chapter 6, he says, look, we're sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. Oh, man, we even go deeper. We're poor, but, but hey, there's, there's richness here. And then he says this final phrase, he says, having nothing but possessing everything. Can that be our mantra today? Man, we may have nothing, so to speak, but we have everything in Jesus. There is nothing more we could have, nothing more we could want, nothing more we need. Jesus, you are all I need. I pray that will be the cry of our heart today. Because I don't know about you, church, but man, when I'm in the struggle, I'm not looking for more trials. I'm not looking for more pruning and refining. I'm looking for an exit ramp often. Run for the piney woods, right? Get us out of here, God. And yet you think about how Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Again, trials, church, are a critical element in our spiritual development. Don't run, don't flee. Run into the arms of Jesus. How about verse number three? Let's look at that there in our study in James. He drills down even deeper. He says this, for you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So don't miss this. So here James is writing, and let me read verse two and three together to give us the context. So after the introduction, here goes James. Count it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, you meet trials of various kinds. Here it is, verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Think about this, for you know. So here's what James is saying. That word know there in the original language gives an awesome definition that there's intimacy, there's understanding, uh, there's an acknowledging, an embracing. So James is saying, look, you're going to count it all joy. You're going to consider, evaluate, deem it, that these trials, these proving testing grounds in your life, are actually for a reason, for such a time as this, to redeem the time that you, making it personal, it's intimate here, that you may know, that you may know, you, you know intimately, that you know without a shadow of a doubt, that you know these trials, these testings of what? Of someone else's faith, of a spouse, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, not a chance, it's personal, of your faith, of your faith, 
produces steadfastness. This faith is so key in, in, in the simplistic terms, we could say fidelity, but that's not what he's talking about here. It's our faith. A faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Uh, we know it's our faith in Christ that we rest today, and I pray you do. I pray you rest in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ and His royal righteous blood on your life and His grace and His mercy. I pray you're resting in that faith. I pray the faith you have in Christ is the most precious possession you own. And as you own that, and He owns you, it's producing. Don't miss this. For you know intimately that the testing these trials and tribulations of your faith produces. There's a producing going on here. It is fashioning, rendering, shaping. See, God's the master craftsman, isn't he? It's like that potter on the pottery wheel. And as they, they put the clay on the wheel, it's got to be centered. If it's not centered on the wheel and you begin to pour water on it and you begin to spin the wheel and to begin to pull the wall, if it's not centered, it will all begin to wobble and what you're trying to create is now destroyed. See, we have to be in the center of God's wheel slash will. And as we're in the center of His will, even, yes, especially in the midst of the trials, here's what happens. He begins to pull our wall, doesn't He? He's just pulling our wall. Now we're spinning around in the center of His will, and He's pulling our wall. He's producing. He's taking a lump of clay, and He's fashioning, He's rendering, He's making something so beautiful. But if you know anything about pottery, He's got to put it in the kiln. He's got to put it in the furnace. And so he's pulled the wall, which has been a little painful, and he's shaped us and he's molded us and he makes us, and yet at some point he dips us in the glaze of life, but then he's got to put us in the furnace. And those are the trials of life, the difficulty where we don't get what we want. That's where we put self on the shelf and say, God, I don't want me, I want you. Jesus, I want your glory above all. I want you that people would not even see me would be hopefully my prayer and your prayer but people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. How? As the Word of God dwells in us richly, as we're renewed by the renewal of our minds. I pray that's you and me today. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Producing what? Steadfastness. What is that? Well, make a note of this. It's a marathon, not a sprint, number one. It's patient. It's slow, enduring. It's remaining in the trial and under the trial as God carries us. Again, looking for exit ramps, that's my flesh. Looking for the piney woods, that's my flesh. But God says, no, I, I want you to stay here. I'm holding you here for such a reason that as I prune you and remove all the dross, all the impurities from your life, John, you're not going to look more like Jesus. I remember that old illustration years ago of the, the silversmith, and 
he had the silver there as he's making the silver and taking the raw substrate there and dipping it in the, the hot molten. That hot, hot molten. He's, he's just dipping it in. And there was a group of people standing around him, and they were asking questions, and he's just doing his work, just making the silver. And one person just kind of off the cuff said, hey, silversmith, hey, I'm here. How do you know when the silver is completed? How do you know when the silver has been produced? Without even skipping a beat and continuing to work, not even looking over his shoulder. He says, oh, that's easy. I know exactly when the silver is done because all I have to do is look at the silver and see my reflection. I wonder if God's trying to do that to me and you today. He's got us in the fire and he's holding us in there graciously by his mighty hand and he's waiting to see the reflection of Jesus in us. Life's hard. It's not easy, but we press on. We're steadfast. The patience, by the way, is active. It's not passive. There's an action in the midst of the patience. You say, that sounds kind of strange. Remember Psalm 27, 13 through 14, where the psalmist is crying out and saying, hey, I would have lost heart in the land of the living if I did not believe in the goodness of the Lord. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Remember that text there? Waiting in the flesh is, is work, it's worship, and it will be worth it in the end. What is God trying to do in your life today, my life today, that, that He's saying, look, are you identifying who you are? But more importantly, are you identifying whose you are, who owns you? And then are you counting it all joy? I'm not saying that the trials are joyful, but you're going to be joyful in the trials. I pray whatever God is speaking to your heart as we look at key number three, I pray you'll be encouraged, not discouraged. Key number three in your notes says it like this. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, don't miss that. I can confidently know, don't miss that, that as I am tested, my faith will be strengthened. Let me say that again, and let's unpack that together. Key number three, when my eyes are fixed, so you're dialed in, you got blinders on, you're just looking at Christ, missile locked on Him, I can confidently know that as I am tested, my faith will be strengthened. You might say, how do you get that? Where do you get that from? Well, look in your Bible at verse three, we just read it. For you, it's personal, no, intimate, there's an understanding, embracing, that the testing, the proving grounds of your faith, of what's most precious to you, it's producing steadfastness. There's a confidence there. We know as we're fixed on Him that He will do that work. You know, I made a note here and alluding to that illustration I just gave, but I wanted to read this to you. I said the only way we can become more like Jesus is to be placed in His furnace. There's no detours. There's no side exits. All of us have to go through this. And the more we embrace it and not rebel against it and not have a stiff neck or a stony heart, here's what's going to happen. Our life is going to be more joyful. And think about what we're going to do about the people around us. I mean, as we joyfully go through the trial, and again, hear me, I'm not saying we're saying the trials are joyful. No, they're hard. We acknowledge it. Man, this is hard. I'm going through a tough time in life, comma, 
Just as Jesus told us there in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have tribulation. That, that word tribulation, the original means this. It's a pressure, it's a pressing together. And Jesus didn't mince words, he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, in this world, you will have the pressure of life. You're gonna have trials and tribulations. And aren't you glad he didn't just put a period there and say, hey, good luck, hope this thing works out for you. No, he finished that thought with, but be of good cheer, but be of joy. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. What's that joy in life? It's Jesus, others, you. It's that acronym, in that order. Don't mess that up. Don't get that all out of whack. Otherwise, you'll have yodge. No, it's joy, Jesus, others, you in that order. And watch how God works in your life as you submit everything to Him. Speaking of submission, how about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Write that one down under key number 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Love this text here. Here's what's written here in these verses. He says, so we do not lose heart. And you got to remember, Paul had a, a difficult life. Uh, he got saved, Damascus Road, uh, radically got rocked, his world did. And it was just a challenge from day one. Jesus is like, hey, Paul, I got an assignment for you. Uh, I've chosen you, I've selected you divinely to go suffer greatly for my name. Sounds like a great team to sign up for at your church. The Suffering for Jesus team. So Paul had it very difficult. He wasn't signing autographs and shooting movie deals. He suffered greatly. And he says there again in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away. Look at that. So though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. How often? Day by day. Then he says these words, which are so hard in the flesh, but so true in the spirit. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I don't know about you, church, but now when I'm going through a struggle or a trial, there is nothing momentary, nothing light about it. It's just the contrary. It's heavy. It doesn't seem momentary. It seems like it's dragging on forever. And yet here's the problem. When I look at the trial through the fleshly, earthly lens, it doesn't seem like it's momentary. It seems like it's forever because I'm not looking at the eternal weight of glory. See, God is working behind the scenes. That's why our last verse, here it is, verse number four, is so powerful as James unpacks this. And this is what he says in verse four. He says, and let steadfastness, don't miss that word let, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you, personal again, may be, here we go, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now again, think about this. When we are in the furnace of affliction, our trials are working behind the scenes, and we are literally in that furnace in the palm of God's hand. As he has us in the persecutions and the struggles and the trials of life, he's carrying us through. No longer can we rely on self and talent and ability and ambition. No, it's just simply he's carrying us through. We're limp. He's carried us through the trial. And as that is being done, here it is, verse 4 again, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it. Uh, when you let something in, you are opening the door. 
you are allowing in. That's what James is showing us here. And let, allow it. Allow this steadfastness to come into your life. Well, think about this, church. The steadfastness, if you go back to verse 3, is all about being produced through the testing. So if we're going to allow the steadfastness in our lives, where we're not going to bend, buckle, or break, we also equally have to allow the trials into our lives. Don't run. Don't resist. Just embrace. Say, God, if you're going to give this to me as a gracious gift, and that's what happened there to Paul in Philippians. I love when he's talking about there and the whole praetorium guard, that they're seeing that my chains are in Christ. If he wasn't there, think about upwards of 10,000 soldiers in that praetorium guard would have never seen that Paul's life was no longer his own. But his suffering was a billboard for God's glory. His suffering showed how great God is. And then Paul drills down deeper there in Philippians, that same era, and he says, it's not only been granted to you, caris to you, grace to you, to believe in Him, but it's also been granted to you, grace to you, to suffer for Him. It's almost like Christmas morning in God's economy. Here's a big bag of suffering. Boy, it's hard though, isn't it? That's how God works. He works through these momentary light afflictions. That they're working, church. They're working out an eternal way to glory. Steadfast, perseverance in verse 4, patient enduring, full effect when something's accomplished, perfect, it's finished, it's brought to an end, complete, it's entirely left not unfinished, lacking nothing, not left behind, not being in need, not being in want. Are you getting this in verse 4? James is repeating over and over the same concept to that audience of that day, those Jewish readers, to perhaps Gentiles that read it as well, to us today. He's saying, look, out of the shoot, out of the gate, count your trials as a blessing in your life. Embrace them. Don't push them away. God's using them for such a time as this in your life. And oh, by the way, He's working to bring it to full effect, to perfection, to completion, lacking nothing. Paul's not saying here that you're going to be sinless. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about maturity, Christian maturity, that we're growing in humility, that we're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray you are. And that's a great question for all of us to ask today, that can we look back and have we grown? Not perfect. We all stumble. Some days are difficult and two steps forward and maybe three or four steps back the next day. But, but are we stumbling forward? Are we stumbling forward or are we just kind of in this rut a year after year and there's not growth in the Lord? That's what James is talking about here. Those trials will refine and prune each one of us. So how about the last key? Here it is, key number four. Write it down, key number four. Key number four. In every trial, not just some, but in every trial, how about all of us together? Let's ask God. God, what do you desire for me to learn so that I may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Let's say that again. Key number four, write it down. In every trial, ask God this simple thought question here. What do you, God, desire for me to learn so that I may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? You could say it like this. God, what do you want me to learn right now in the trial? Maybe right now you're picturing the trial you're in. So just lay it before him. Lay it right now before him and say, God, here's my trial. What do you want me to learn right now 
so that I can be more mature in my faith as I become more like Jesus. What are you trying to teach me? Am I embracing it or am I rebelling? Am I, am I looking to that and saying, okay, Lord, I don't like it, but, but show me what it is, or is there a stiff neck towards that? I pray that our hearts and our minds and our souls are wide open to receive that. How about our last text here I want to give you, supporting text, Romans chapter 5. Write it down under key 4. Powerful, powerful words from Paul. Romans 5, 1 through 4. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now pause there for a moment. So many people want the peace of God, but they're looking for it outside having peace with God. We all want the peace of God. You'd be a lunatic not to want the peace of God. But how many people really want the peace of God that is combined with and starts with the peace with God? Because if you're going to have the peace with God, the only way you can have peace with God is through Jesus. And you give your life away to Him. You become the doulos, the willing slave. You say, God, I just don't want the fire insurance. I want you more than anything else through Jesus Christ. As we submit to that, we'll have that peace. So Paul goes on in verse 2 of 5 of Romans Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. Did you catch that? Here we go. We rejoice. We count it all joy. In what? Our circumstances improving? Not a chance. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's why the glory of God is so paramount at our church. Everything we do is about the glory of God. If we're not giving glory to God, we don't do it. We want to give glory to God. But look at verse 3. He drills down even deeper. Paul's saying, listen up. He says, not only that, but we rejoice. Here he goes. We count it all joy. This is Paul, talked about James. We rejoice in our sufferings. Wow. Knowing, we heard that already, knowing intimately that the suffering produces, heard that word, what does it produce? Endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Do you see that? See, the suffering in our life makes us mature in Christ. It fashions, it prunes, it refines us into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. Spurgeon espoused this thought, and it's one of my favorite quotes of his. The Prince of Preachers said it like this, and all his suffering, his great depression that he had. Here's what he wrote. Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, The javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. Yet, trials can prove a wonderful work of God in us. Don't miss this. I, Charles Spurgeon said, I have looked back to the times of trial with a kind of longing. Not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then. To feel the power of faith as I felt it then to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw Him then. Church, do you know that your faith that is so precious more than silver and gold is being tested and refined and pruned? What is God working in your life today as we answer the takeaway question? Takeaway question, here it is. And answer honestly. We can't grow unless we get real. And God doesn't become real in our lives unless we get real and honest. 
Here's the question. How do I, I'm asking me and I'm asking you, how do I respond to the trials of life? Answer that. Truthfully, how do you respond? How do I respond? Do I embrace things with joy? Or if I'm truthful before you today, there's so many times I don't, if I'm honest. And God needs to work on me in this area of my life. It's, it's an area of great needed growth in my life. How about you? How about the action step? When I do face a trial, I will do so with joy as I focus on Jesus. How about going forward today, church, we make a declaration as we prepare to close here? How about we do this? How about all of us right now, we just simply say, you know what, from this day forward, I'm going to drive a dagger deep into the ground and say, when I face a trial going forward, I am going to make this declaration right now, that when I face this trial, I'm going to do so with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it, but I'm going to put Jesus first, others second, me last, in that order, and I'm going to watch him work. I'm going to put him to the test. I want to see God work in my life. I pray that's you and me, because the last thought is simply this. When we encounter trials, do we get better or do we get bitter? I get this. I can put on the church smile and the church face and the church outfit, but, but what's going on in the heart? As we face the trials of life, when, not if, are we getting better? Are we growing more into the Christ-likeness of Jesus? Or is the reality we're growing more bitter by the day? I pray today we'll count it all joy as we pray together right now. Father, we love you. And Father, we just come before you. God, thank you for this book of James and, and how you've challenged us today, you've encouraged us. I pray we've been strengthened today that we will count it all joy. God, I pray that for that person that's listening, watching right now that has never given their life truly to Christ. God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you speak to that heart right now? God, I pray that they would just turn everything over to you as you draw them and woo and stir them like only you can do. Show them that you have a hope and a plan and a future for their life. God, I pray that for those that are giving their life to you truly, not just externally something to do, but truly, the hearts are ripped wide open right now. Saying, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I want to be like James. Maybe that's you. You say, I want to be like James. I just want to say, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No other titles needed. Just a willing servant who's renounced everything for the cause of the gospel. Would you give your life to him today? Perhaps you're not walking with the Lord like you should. And the Holy Spirit's speaking right now. Just obey. Just repent and turn. Just repent and turn. And walk in that freedom as you walk with Him, as He leads and you follow. God, don't allow us to get bitter, but I pray every day, I pray we'd get better in You as we rest in You, as we abide in You. God, as we place our lives in the nail-scarred hands right now, I pray we'd build an altar wherever we are, just build an altar right where you are. Say, Lord, you're all I want and you're all I need. Here's my life. Take it and use it for your glory. God, do the work and do it now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.